Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Time, and my co-hosts, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about the UFC's opening card of 2023, UFC Fight Night, Ankalaya versus Walker 2, going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, this Saturday, January 13th. And uh, yeah, a pretty decent fight night to start the year. Not a... Um, absolutely thriller main event, but it's a top contenders fight in the light heavyweight division, and the card has let's see one, two, three, four, five, six, at least six fighters on it that are part of the UFC's ranking system and a bunch of prospects. So, and I would even say it's 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 mostly good matchups. Yeah. Yeah, I, we, we've been talking about it, and even fights like, you know, Bruno, Bruno Ferreira, Phil Haas are hard to call in their own way. Double-edged. So. Yeah, this is just what Fight Night cards used to look like. Yep. It doesn't feel like an Apex card. It doesn't feel like the comparatively bigger event that most of the travel cards are now. It just feels yeah. like what a normal Fight Night was like three years ago. Uh-huh. Which is fine. I'll take that, especially after a four-week uh, vacation. Yeah. Of course, now we get to our prelims with a featured prelim between of good fights, good matchups. That's right. Ooh, I'm rubbing my hands over here from Zane. Say the names. Say the names. I can't with take it. Andre Arlovsky and no. Waldo Cortez Acosta. No. <laughs> 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 the, the clackers out there get the air horns. Uh, one of those things. What do you call those? The Vuvuzela. No, no, no. The little New Year's things. You know the oh the, the party the party horn noise maker. I guess they're called noise maker. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Jesus, this is bad, huh? Yeah, this is quite easily and obviously the worst fight on this card. No. This is the featured prelim. <laughs> Why would they? I know they're heavyweights, guys, but come on, we've been over this. Put Semmelsberger Parsons as the featured prelim. That's going to be a banger. Or McGee Bolaños. Or, yeah, or that. Come on. Or like, really, you... honestly, because it should be on the main card, it, it should be Boshrat Lopolis. That's actually. Sure. Just a really good fight. True, yeah. Haven't you seen both of these guys fight? You know what this is going to look like. Yeah. Um, this is... So I wrote a little editorial about Andre Arlovsky the other day. Uh-huh. Because I was thinking about it, how he's like the shining example of modern corporate UFC success. Mm-hmm. In a world where, you know... 
your Matthew Semmelsbergers of the world have no shot at ever becoming champion. Mm-hmm. Arlovsky is the, the fighter they should be really looking to emulate. Right. Just be there forever. Just be there forever. Keep signing incremental contracts. And I I, I can't say for sure because I haven't seen his contract and I don't know what it actually looks like. There's a really good chance, though, that Andre Arlovsky will make $425,000 flat rate for this fight against Waldo Cortez Acosta. I don't know where I know this from, but I'm pretty sure he does make several hundred thousand dollars flat well, per fight. The thing is, in 2015, he negotiated a new contract. He was on a five-fight winning streak, and they wanted they booked him to fight Frank Mir. And he negotiated a new contract and went from 47 and 47, win or lose, to 225,000 flat. Wow. And a year later, he was making 250,000 flat. And a year after that, he was making 275 flat. Yeah. And a year after that, he was making three hundred thousand flat. And a year after that, he was making three twenty-five flat. And the after that, the his pay has been not disclosed anywhere. But assuming that it's still that same incremental step, then he should be making four hundred twenty-five thousand dollars flat this year. I hope he is. I hope he is too, because. My God has some, he has figured out how to game the UFC system better than any fighter ever before. You know? Yeah. He's still here. How old is Andre Arlovsky? He's 44. 44. And he's had, my God, more fights than Jim Miller. He made his UFC debut 20 five or 24 years ago and made his pro debut one year before that yeah 99 was his pro debut yep imagine that so uh, anyway the fight you know the thing is is like he's uh he's become really really boring <laughs> yeah that's it's it's pretty ironic actually that like andre Arlovsky used to be like guaranteed excitement and for this, he was given pocket change. Yes. Now he's making the big bucks for just a series of, ev- of fights that demonstrate everything bad about the heavyweight division. Yep. He, is, he much like Alistair Overeem, is a shining example of what amazing athletes, the athletes these men were yeah, yeah. compared to the competition around them. Mm-hmm. So that they could just rebuild and remold their game for years and years and years on end and still be at, at like the cusp of comp of of contendership or at the cusp of, you know, ahead of the curve of the younger fighters around them. Mm-hmm. And now it's basically just like. For a lot of fights with it was up until recent years, I think this has changed now. But up through his early, up through like 41 or 42 for Andre Arlovsky, it was basically Andre Arlovsky has a jab and he has a right hand. And he will 
keep the jab working, and he will throw the right hand every now and then. And if you're not a better boxer than that, he will win. And I don't think that's the case anymore, but, like, that was really literally the line he was drawing in the sand. It might still be the case. I mean, he's had two losses in a row now. They don't look good, but, like, this man has had some serious losing streaks in his career. It's true. And has just always managed to bounce back and then put many wins together. Yeah, he just... He does not get, for a guy who used to have one of heavyweight MMA's worst chins, he does, his confidence, Some we had to figure out, somebody should find out if Andre Arlovsky went to see a sports therapist or if there was a specific coach that he started working with at some point that got into his head. And whoever that person is, like, half the UFC should just go see them. Yeah. Because this man was absolutely not a confident fighter early in his career. Yeah. He was a glass cannon. He was a guy who he would run, he would go out and he would try to put it on you as fast as he could. And if he couldn't, he would wilt. Yeah. That's, he got knocked out a bunch because of it. <clears throat> and he would fight jittery, and he would not see strikes coming because he was jittery. He would, like, close his eyes when when strikes came at him. Yep. And then around after that knockout loss to Francis Ngannou, of all people, in 2017, he's just like, what if I just stop letting that happen? Like, what if I just, what if I keep my eyes open and am confident about my ability to take shots? And I mean, it might've even happened before that, considering that it was just Stipe Miocic, Alistair Overeem and Francis Ngannou that knocked him out. And they're all huge punchers. Yeah. Well, there was the run before that too, where it was, yeah. And Brett Rogers and Fedor were the guys knocking him out. Yeah. And like you in the middle of the run, the huge run of success he had in between, he had that lost Anthony Johnson where Anthony Johnson just like broke Arlovsky's face with punches. He got an extra minute to try to knock him out in that fight. There was like a six and a half minute first round. Somewhere in there, though, and this would have been the the Jackson Wink era, so this would have been maybe it was Greg Jackson helped him yeah, find might be. Yeah. something. Yeah, but it it worked, and Arlovsky has been knocked out tw- well three times, twice now since 2017. He still gets knocked out, but it's not it doesn't happen as often as you would think, given that everyone yeah. thought his chin was gone and his career was over in 2011. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, you should make a pick here. I've been rambling, but yeah. Well, the other side of this fight is like one of my least favorite fighters to watch, as you know, Waldo Cortez Acosta, uh, just like, uh, I just don't like him. You know, he's just in there sneering and, and I just, I just, he, he gives me the same kind of frustration. He has many of the same problems as Michael Morales. Mm hmm. 
where like clearly the dude is a, is fast, he's powerful, he has some feel to like to land shots accurately. But like all the pieces behind that are so cumbersome and I have not seen any progression thus far out of Waldo Cortez Acosta. Um, yeah. He just like, like if he had that fight with uh, Wukash Breshki and he just lumbered forward. Every time he would throw a shot, even his jab, like his legs will stretch out. He doesn't like step in on his punches. He just both feet have to be completely rooted. Yeah. And what happened is he got one counter because Breshki overthrew on him. Then he tried to follow up with the ugliest right hand you've ever seen. And how he finished Breshki was literally just walking into range. Breshki hits him and he just hits him back. Like, yep. This is the level of nuance to Cortez's, uh, Cortez Acosta's boxing technique is like, he has to be in range. And the only way to get there is to walk at the guy. Yep. Which is why this could be a truly miserable fight because, Arlovsky can still move around. Mm-hmm. He's still notably quicker than all the guys Cortez Acosta has actually been beating, being an True. aging athlete, and has a lot of experience just neutralizing one-note fighters. Yep. So I don't know who's going to win. Uh, I'm going to pick Arlovsky for fun and, and out of spite, but what I do know is it's very likely going to be miserably slow. Yeah, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick Cortez Acosta, just because I think that Arlovsky is finally hitting a wall where he's just he's not fast enough anymore, and he is not durable enough anymore that he can't really afford to do anything and be safe about it. I've heard that before, Zane. I know. I know. I'm just I'm going to bank on it being true this time. He doesn't th- this is not an alternate universe where he's getting any younger as the uh to paraphrase Futurama. <laughs> uh but yeah, I just think Brett, uh, Cortez Costa I I've, I've had a pretty good luck picking him in his career just because he has core the core heavyweight traits he's big he's durable and he hits hard and it turns out he's also pretty fast at least with his hands his hand yeah he probably would be fast with his feet as well if he had any footwork yeah i mean he looks quick when he goes he's a he's a he is a late career converted baseball player which is why he it's all he's learning all of fighting now um I, but i'm gonna pick him i just think it's you know there's not at, at this point i'm just not gonna pick arlovsky over anybody who against anybody who might have the athleticism to hang with him yeah no fair enough the Dante Mays fight i mean i know Mays is getting better as well but that just kind of felt like a fight where arlovsky hung around and didn't do anything until he eventually kind of tried to and just got hurt yeah it's really the fact that at least Mays can move his feet quickly. Yeah. That differentiates him from Cortez sure. Acosta. But it's, yeah, what you're saying is not at all unfair. I just, um. You don't want to, and you shouldn't, ha- you don't have to. You I don't, don't have to. to. You can't, you don't have to, 
You don't have to pick Cortez Acosta. You can't make me. Yeah. Where's Waldo? Connor doesn't know. Oh, I know. It's <laughs> as far away from me as possible. <laughs> uh, weirdly, in a very far too MMA line, Waldo Cortez Acosta is a huge favorite over Arlovsky. This should not be the case. He opened it. Minus- just don't know what they're looking at, do they? They don't. The guy gets a win, and they're just like, oh, this guy must be good. No. Did you watch the fight? Cortez Acosta opened at minus 417. He's currently at minus 680. Andre Arlovsky opened at plus 297. He's currently at plus 506. And, you know, I'm just glad Arlovsky's out there getting paid. Like I said. Yeah, yeah. If he's making, like, four hundred thousand dollars for this fight that's awesome yep meanwhile waldo cortez acosta is making like eight thousand bucks yeah he's, he's probably on 14 and 14 right now yep all right that brings us to a welterweight bout matthew semmelsberger preston parsons and this is for the which guy can get out of their own way first championship yeah it's also for the blood god. Yeah, absolutely. Because, <laughs> I mean, Semmelsberger, he's sort of, he, he's hes in the early stages of where Gabriel Benitez ended up. And he came to it much later, so it's much less technical. Mm-hmm. But you watch him and you're like, oh, yeah, here are some fun. Here are some solid fundamentals to build on. Yep. Here's something to put together into a deeper game. Oh, wait, you're 31 already? Yeah. Well, okay. (laughs) You know? Like, he hits hard, and he has got the the basics down, but anytime he gets stretched beyond that, you can just see that he is really trying to think his way through the fight. Yeah. Because he does not know where to go. And... You know, no, nowhere was that clearer, honestly, than that lost Uros Medic, mm-hmm. where he came out and he's just like, one, two, crush Uros Medic. Landed again, crush Uros Medic. And then Medic is like, okay, well, maybe I should, like, be a little more cautious about getting into range. Or maybe I, I think he, he, about being in middle distance, I think he ended up uh, closing down Semmelsberger a lot more after that. And, like, clinching with him and Semmelsberger just got taken out of the fight entirely mm-hmm. and or that fight he had with Jeremiah Wells where Wells was just like what if I hit a takedown on you and every time Semmelsberger was just like oh god I don't remember what to do now about Surprise. this part of yeah he's a very one track kind of fighter yeah um, that's another, not, not to the extent or with the consequences of Phil Hall's, but he is a tunnel vision fighter as well. Yeah. Even, even when he's winning, like in that fight with Jake Matthews, where he was just like landing every, uh, every straight right hand he threw. Yeah. But he just couldn't stop winging punches. Like, and, and he just like, he just gets really zeroed in. Yeah. That gray, gray Maynard striking brain. Mm hmm. And but without Gray Maynard's boxing skill, I have to say no. no. <laughs> and on the flip side, 
Preston Parsons has the other MMA brain, which is guy who can't stop doing everything all the time brain. Yeah. Where he's just out there like, I'm going to throw a right hand. I'm going to duck in on a takedown. I'm going to get to a double leg. I'm going to do like a handstand guard pass. And I'm going to try to take your back. Okay, that didn't work. We're back up at range. All right, here's, you know, here's another, you know, hard one, two to get me into the pocket. All right, I'm going to duck for another, just like all the time. He's just having fun, you know. Just having fun and running himself out of his own cardio. Yep. And... Just going through the whole, you know, dial of spinning dial of MMA ideas. And I don't know who's going to win this fight. Because, <laughs> like, uh, Parsons is much less durable and much easier to catch out than uh, Semmelsberger because he's just constantly running through ideas. He's somebody that, like, if you're like, oh, he's going to duck now, you can just blast him because he's just on, he's just sort of going through that next idea. Where Semmelsberger is more, he's on one track and that's all he's thinking about is that one track. But he's mindful within that track he's at least you know it may not be very deep but if he's just out there throwing one twos then he's at least mindful of trying to find the range on his one twos you know that's yeah, all he's and i think to he do. is i think he is somewhat coachable too he can yeah. kind of be brought back around after he gets into like a rabbit hole yeah um but he's also just like Every time Preston Parsons shoots on him, he's probably going to take Matthew Semmelsberger down. And yeah. un unfortunately for Semmelsberger, he also has this really bad habit of trying to have an active guard. Yeah. Which, once again, this guy's game is not deep. So once he starts getting his hips in engaged on his back... It's, you know, it's not like, oh, no, here's the triangle arm bar set up. It's like, oh, OK, you're going to you're going to play with an idea of rubber guard for three minutes before you realize yeah. you should give it up. But then Preston Parsons is probably not going to hold position on him either. Yeah. So like I say, this is very much the who can get out of their own way first championship title. I think I'm going to take Semmelsberger just because of the durability. Yeah. I'm kind of kind of thinking the same thing, but durability and wrestling. I mean, it's just the fact that's often a pull in picking one way or the other is just just having that as like an ever present option to just blast someone's burger off his feet while he's like planted and throwing an, a, an overhand right. Yeah. I mean, Parsons um, boxing is like no better technically than like Jake Matthews. He could absolutely no. just get get a lot of time to pressure but just find himself stuck on the end of a jab and eating a bunch of clean right hands but well, he's the kind of fighter who lunges into the pocket face first yes like he's just i am gonna sit down on a two hook combo and i will meet whatever you're throwing with my chin yeah but he does have the wrestling he will he wrestle yeah. a lot he will wrestle a lot um You know, 
Uh, yeah, let's just keep it interesting. I'll take Parsons for the wrestling. I think even if sure. he gasses, if he can keep going for that and putting the pressure on. Yeah, I mean, Semmelsberger just, he will absolutely get into a track where it's like, oh, you took me down, then I should start grappling. Right, because if Parsons doesn't have great top control, but like Semmelsberger just doesn't have the urgency to actually get back to his feet. So like, yeah, I don't think Parsons will be averse to uh, hanging out in guard, throwing stupid punches at him. Nope. I'll, I'll take Parsons. It's a 50, it'll be fun. But it Absolutely. Is, it's, Absolutely. A, it's fun in that way that you're going to be screaming at your TV the whole time, just like, just stand up. <laughs> or, with Par- in Parsons' case, just jab the body. <laughs> jab the body and then duck in behind it. Just just do it. Just no, you don't body, have to... body jab is a concept completely alien to the way Preston Parsons thinks. It is. It is. But literally, just don't stand there head hunting, shot for shot with Matthew, Matthew Semmelsberger. Yeah, you don't have to. Or just stay on top. Stay in top. Stay in his guard. Stop trying to pass to side control where he yeah. will actually stand up because that'll yeah. probably also happen. It'll be it'll be one of those kind of fights. Yeah. Semmelsberger is the favorite, very slightly open at minus one eighteen, currently minus one twenty-three. Parsons opened at my, plus one oh seven, currently plus one twelve. All right. That gets us to Marcus McGee, Gaston Bolaños, and uh do you, do you want to do you have a disclosure to make on this one? Yeah, I did some scouting for this one. Um but it's fine, you know. Yeah. Just talk about it. Sure. Um I do know an awful lot about uh, Marcus McGee. Mhm. Um most of which is impressive. Marcus McGee yeah. is a a very impressive fighter. Um He's one of those dudes. He, he is the kind of dude that guys mean when they say that there are like five dudes in my gym who could beat anybody in the UFC right now that just aren't taking it seriously. Marcus McGee is a lot of times that's just bullshit. Most of the time that's bullshit. In fact, sure. But Marcus McGee is very clearly that dude where here he is at 33. I don't think he started MMA until he was like 27. Yeah. And no, he started at 21, actually. He took his first amateur fights. But he had a long time off. He must have. Yeah, he took a couple of years off after his first amateur fight. And then had a really spotty amateur career over six years. Yeah, he's been consistent since he went pro, which was in 2020. At age 30. Yeah, he went went pro at 2020, and that's when his schedule became consistent. Yeah, and he has grown a lot over the course of just his pro career. Yeah, I mean, he is a dude who is just like, if this is what you wanted to do with your life, you probably should have started doing it earlier because yeah, you, you could have been making a lot more hay than now where you just – where we hope to see you speed run your UFC I career. think he's got the right attitude for it, though. Like, yeah, he, just, he just likes it. He's like a very humble okay. guy. Apparently – uh-huh, go on. If the commentary team was to be believed, like he was talking, they were talking about like, 
you would say like, oh, you know, they're like, oh, were you getting frustrated about not, you know, having your career get off the ground and all that? I was like, no, I was just happy to be yeah. helping other guys. Yeah. He's like, I'm grateful gym. to be part of other people's journey. Yeah. <laughs> he seems like a pretty down to earth, humble guy um, who is a a real student of the game. You can see that yeah. from his progression. First of all, we have to say he's a monster athlete. Yeah. He's I mean, I there's a fight of his. I think it was against um, Ricky Maines. This is his second pro fight where he runs out. He does a flying knee. He's got a little Charles Jordan in him. He has to do at least one flying knee every fight, usually more than one. Yeah. Um, and usually at least one wheel kick just out of nowhere. Never lands, but he has to go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he goes out there flying knee sort of lands. He goes just caroming past Ricky Maines and grabs a rear naked choke in midair. And he doesn't finish it, but still like just the dynamism of Marcus McGee cannot be denied. Yeah. It's always one of the things I've, I've always said to people who've ever asked me for scouting advice on like, how do you, how do you measure talent? How do you see when somebody's a great prospect in MMA? Yeah. They do. Do they do some shit like that? Yeah. It's Cause, just, you should be so. watching their old fights, and no matter how sloppy they are, no matter how bad it is, whatever, you should be watching for one thing per fight where you look at it and you go, I don't understand how he did that. I don't understand yeah. how physically how that person made that happen. Yeah. And McGee is definitely one of those dudes. Yeah. Super strong, um, uh, just crazy dynamic and explosive. And, but on top of that, is uh, a pretty solid technical boxer mm-hmm. um, who really, really likes to pressure people. But he is a pretty patient pressure fighter. This is something that really jumps out at me is that even when he will spend the first round and will often not even start the fight pressuring, and he'll kind of build up to it as the round goes on. Mm-hmm. But even if it comes to a head in like the last minute of, say, the first round and he's got the guy cornered and he's really starting to land good shots, he will come out in the next round and sort of begin the process again. Not all the way from square one. Yeah. But he will just kind of be like, OK, now show me something. Let me kind of, you know, he doesn't rush. He's not an he's clearly not an anxious fighter. Yeah. No, very um, clearly. Like that is super calm. Yeah, I remember that was the other big thing that jumped out when I first started watching tape on him. Is like, oh, this dude actually does fight like somebody who has been spending a decade in the gym working on their game and then just turned pro. Yeah, yeah, he he has the attitude of a really seasoned fighter, which is why he can come in in his like UFC debut and just crush his opponent, like come in on short notice even against a yeah. you know pretty decent guy in Journey Newsom and just waste him. Yep, uh, calmly. <laughs> Um, but he really, really likes to pressure, really likes to slowly work his way into the pocket. If he gets you against the fence, then you're in trouble because he hits the body. He throws punches off of both hands, out of both stances. Uh, and when he gets rolling, is a really excellent combination puncher. Um, the thing that I think, um, well, it would hold McGee back if he also wasn't super durable. Mm-hmm. His defense is not great. No. Um, and it's kind of one note. He really likes to sort of because what he wants, he kind of is an aggressive counterpuncher. He wants to put positional pressure on the opponent until they flinch and throw something. And so what he wants to do is kind of pull counter. 
Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of his defense. And so he can get overwhelmed momentarily by combinations. He can get rushed onto the back foot because he kind of just jerks his head back. And if it happens mm-hmm. to be more than one punch coming at him or the punch wasn't badly overswung, the opponent has a chance there to pile up on him. Um, but, uh, you know, like he's just the, the calmness is still there and he will still just whip counters at people. If they rush after him too zealously, he can hit reactive takedowns if he really needs to, like he's a decent wrestler. He was not when he started. Yeah. But, uh, he's a decent wrestler when he wants to be. Um, but the, he usually just opts to just kind of reset and then just kind of start slowly building up pressure on you again. And yeah, I mean, I, I think he's, I gotta say, I think he's kind of a rough matchup for Gaston Bolaños. Yeah, I think so too. Bolaños, he's had a lot of, he's had a fair bit of MMA at this point, but he still feels very much like a kickboxer who yeah. is trying to, come to grips with all of the ins and outs of MMA each time he hits the cage where it's like, Oh, I want to go out here and kickbox, but I got to remember, I got to be worried about the grappling. I got to remember, I got to be worried about the wrestling. And so I've got to be a little more cautious in how I pick my shots. And I, you know, I don't want to get caught up in this or that or whatever. And it was enough so that, you know, even a fighter, a really pretty underwhelming athlete, like Aaron Phillips, yeah, still got a pretty dicey fight out of him. Yeah, just being able to have so many opportunities to push in and make Bolaños feel like he had to guess about what was about to happen. There's also the fact that Bolaños just he just likes to stunt on people too much. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. You can do a spinning elbow and knock a dude out. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure he went for that like five times against Aaron Phillips. Yeah, there's that too. He sort of is a guy who gets when he does hit his flow. Yeah, he tries to just be like, "Oh, I'm gonna do the." It's a bit like, um, oh fuck, but um, Randy Brown. Uh, Yes, that is a great comparison. Where it's like you, you, you could just go out here and just win, just. Just do the things that you take the obvious advantage you have and run with it. But instead, you're like, let me try to find that one perfect strike. Yeah. And the guys who beat, um, well, nobody really beats Marcus McGee anymore, but the, the guys who have the most success against him. Well, one, one guy submitted him, by the way. I mean, Bolaños isn't going to do that. No. The guys who have the most success against him are the most principled fighters. Mm-hmm. People who manage the distance well people who use good footwork to avoid being trapped easily on the cage people who lead with jabs and take small victories uh who exploit the sort of one noteness of mcgee's defense um people who jab 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 yeah these are the guys who have the most success against mcgee and um if you're looking for like that perfect shot if you're like waiting to try and time him with a big counter or something you know, I, I think if Bolaños wins this, it has to be not allowing McGee to pressure him, mm-hmm. but also not rushing. Like, yeah. you have to be aggressive, but that has to be a lot of just sort of standing your ground and being willing to back off when you need to without that becoming a, a snowball that just yeah. gets bigger as it goes downhill. And um, you got to chew them up with low kicks on the resets. You got to use jabs to land those little shots and break him down because. And frustrate him. 
it is often the case with fearless fighters, of which Marcus McGee is one. You cannot fight like you do against so many other fighters where you try to shake them up. Yeah. You have to frustrate them. You have to just deny them the catharsis that they're looking for and just keep pecking and poking. This is how you beat a guy like, you know, like John Lineker. Yeah. You know, you can't scare him. You know, you can't back him off with violence. That just he he loves that game. Yeah. And McGee has that in him as well. You know, if you stand and trade, he he just he flourishes in that kind of fight because he's so cool uh, in that chaos. Um, and so dangerous himself. He has big power. And like I said, so, yep. yeah, it, it feels like a good fight for Marcus McGee. I agree. Be violent, though. It's going to be oh, violent. Yeah. It, this will absolutely be fun. I think McGee's a violent dude and Bolaños, he's either going to have to try to create that violence himself or he is going to be subjected to it. Yep. McGee, by the way, the other the second uh, MMA lab fighter on this card to two students, him and Mario Batista doing John Crouch. Very proud, I think. Yeah. No, lab is. They are. You don't necessarily always see like what the technical thing that they're taking out of that camp is. You yeah. know, it's not like I don't think John kick- Crouch has like a. He doesn't have like a Henry Hooft thing where he's yeah. Like, Hooft, Bearman, City Kickboxing, Killcliff, or even Cordero, where you see their game and you're like, oh yeah, okay, I recognize. Yeah. That I recognize the the aspects of this game that have been taken directly from this camp. But it is all it is. a. It's definitely a camp that molds fighters. Well, yeah, he's a little more like um, like like Colin Oyama, like mm-hmm. he'll kind of work with what the fighter already has, what they want to do. But after a few years at that gym, fighters just all tend to be, first of all, superbly conditioned. They all tend to be fantastic scramblers. There must be a hell of a wrestling room at that gym. Yep. And um and they just tend to be like very calm, seasoned looking fighters. Yeah. Who nonetheless have very sort of particular games unique to themselves. McGee is the favorite open at minus 299, currently minus 239. I don't really think that these odds should be getting closer, frankly. Bolaños opened at plus 253, is currently at plus 208. If anything, I feel like those odds should be getting wider. Could be. McGee, you know. I think we both feel like this. He has the potential to run his way into the top of the bantamweight division if if everything yeah. falls right. It's a hugely difficult division to do that in. Yeah. But he's got the physical tools, and he's got the the calm collectedness to him. That, yeah. You know. He takes a shot well. He hits hard as hell. He's got everything you need to be a bantamweight. He's got like the physicality and the build of like Miles Johns. Yeah. Um, but just a way more sophisticated and nuanced game. Yep. All right. That takes us to a Bantamweight bout. Another Bantamweight bout. Farid Basharat, Taylor Lapalus, and, um, Oh, not Miles Johns. I was thinking of Tony Gravely. Sorry. Okay. They, they, yeah. I always made that mistake too. Yep. Um, this, I don't like, this is a good fight and I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. What's your what's your what's your fucking problem, Zane? What's my fucking problem? Taylor Lapolis, I'm really glad he came back to the UFC. Yeah, me too. Uh, he has a very particular game, and it's not a very bantamweight game. 
So I really like to see it. Yeah. You know, it's he is a very much a back foot counter striker. And a division full of bowling ball shaped power punchers. You know, he's not purely a counter striker, which is to his benefit. He's yeah, not purely. He's not like another bantamweight in Trevin Jones. No, he's, but, he's, a, he's as much an outfighter as he is a counter striker. Sure. Yeah. He is a back foot striker to yes. whatever yeah. you want to say about count, whether it's countering or not. But he stays busy enough with his jabs yeah. and his kicks like he's, he's he pot shots. Yeah. Stick and move kind of fighter. And there are a lot of fighters that I'd like to see him work that against. Guys like um, Casey Kenny. Mm-hmm. Or um, what happened to Casey Kenny? That man hasn't fought in a minute. Yeah, he just got hurt at some point, and then he doesn't seem like he's recovered well. And then he had like the whole some like really weird women's MMA comments, and that was like the la- his last public thing, oh, him I've, saying a bunch of dumb shit to Sean O'Malley. I vaguely remember that. Um. But yeah, there there are dudes out there that I want to see Taylor Lapalus take on. You know, somebody like, uh, for instance, I'd love to see him take on somebody like um, Mario Batista mm-hmm. at some point. You know, mm-hmm. Fareed Basharat, he and his brother have been proving me very wrong in a way that I don't enjoy <laughs> by being incredibly tough. And just really capable wrestlers and grapplers in ways that is really, like, guys who idolize Conor McGregor should yeah. not fight smart. That's no. not, you know. We so wanted, we so, which was the first one we saw, Javid? Yeah, Javid was the first we one. We so wanted him to be a dumber, worse fighter than he turned out to be. Yeah. <laughs> And Fareed, initially, I was like, okay, and he's the brother that is trying to copy his other brother's game, but is not as athletic. So it's just not going to work as well. And then he had that fight with Clayton Rodriguez and mm-hmm. with DeMond Black, that DeMond Blackshear fight that is aged also like fine wine. Yep. And it's just like, this guy makes insanely good wrestling choices. Mm-hmm. Like, he he goes through progressions the way that you are supposed to go through progressions as an MMA wrestler. If you want to if you want to be an effective MMA wrestler, not just somebody who shot in on somebody, got stuffed, and then their game started to fall apart. Watch Fareed Basharat mm-hmm. because he's getting in, finding an angle, getting stuffed, resetting, finding a new angle. Finding the takedown and just working people. And Taylor Lapalus's back foot outside game, it's good. And he was able to to beat a very linear wrestler in Colin Lofren. Thank just God he did, because that, that guy was set up to become a very annoying. <laughs> That, yeah, that guy. is the kind of count, Conor McGregor. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Lover that I want to. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Is the 
inch deep, mile wide Conor McGregor impersonation. Yes. yes. But he let Lofren in on his hips so many times with that sort of back foot game, just from Lofren's great chin and pr- willingness to pressure. I just think Boshrot's gonna gonna get him down and out wrestle him. Yeah. I do not trust Lapalus's counter wrestling game to be nuanced enough for that. Yeah, that seems like a pretty reasonable call. Um If it is, then this will be a really cool fight. Or well, it might actually just be a cage grind. Honestly, now that I think about it. Um, but it just doesn't, it's not a matchup that excites me. Honestly, it's not a dynamic that excites me. Yeah, you you want to see, Taylor Lapalus's game is so cool. <laughs> you you do kind of want to see matchups where it just gets to flourish. I mean, a southpaw who jabs, Zane? Yeah. Or oh. even like, I want to see matchups where he's against a pressure fighter that's a good enough pressure fighter to... Yeah, make him struggle in striking exchanges in fun ways. Yeah, but, but the but the the whole being on the back foot and then just having to deal with long chains of wrestling. Yeah, th- this feels like it's going to be uh, Stephen Thompson against um, Shavkat Rachmanov, which yeah, great showcase for Shavkat Rachmanov, but not the kind of fight I really needed to see Stephen Thompson in. Yeah. I mean, does Taylor get taken down in open space like uh, Thompson does? Because otherwise, it's mostly just cage wrestling, right? Yeah. He backs himself up to the cage so readily. Yeah. All right. I'll side with you. I don't like it. I was really prepared to, 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 to get more jazzed about Taylor Lapilus here. I was too, which is why I don't like the fight. Yeah. No, I'm I'm kind of with you now. I get it. He's just, just like, going to have to deal with because because Farid is not as uh, he's not as athletic as his brother. No. And he's not as good a striker either. Like, no, he's, he's, he's not a good. Neither he nor his brother are actually good strikers. No, but Javid's got more flair. You know, he has more flair. Yeah, he's not lying with the Conor McGregor impression. No. Like he, he is out there. He is feeling it. He doesn't mind getting hit. He no. likes being in exchanges now and then. Farid is is a clumsier striker. Much than Javid, but he seems to know it, and he just goes out there and grapples with everybody. Yeah, like you said, being able to grapple competitively with Blackshear, and then just being to straight up out wrestle and and submit Rodriguez are two very good looks. Yeah, yeah, and it is the the depth of his wrestling game. That's that's kind of the death knell for a guy like Lapalus who's going to allow so many entries. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Okay, I'll take uh, I'll take Basharat as well. Basharat is the favorite. Opened at minus one sixty two. It's currently at minus two fifty two. Lapalus opened at plus one forty five. It's currently plus two eighteen. Yeah, not it's a what it's a fight between two very talented fighters. I just don't I don't like the matchup. You yeah. know. Yep, yeah, I'm kind of with you. Uh, and that brings us to another fight I hate for totally different reasons. Weston Wilson, Gene Silva. Is it Gene or Sean? 
Maybe it's Jean. I, I don't. I, I'm done trying to guess the Portuguese J. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is a lot of Brazilian names are not Portuguese names. I know, which is why I'm done. I don't. I'm not trying. He's <laughs> Genie. He's Genie. Genie Silva. I'm going to say Jean. I cannot imagine that somebody in Brazil would be named Jean. <laughs> also, that's not the way you spell Jean for a man. I know. That's why. Jean for a man is Eugene. G E N E. His nickname is Lord Assassin. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a translation from a phrase that sounds much cooler in Brazilian. Probably. Uh, in Portuguese. Um, so anyway, yeah, this is, uh, you don't like this? It's going to be stupid. <laughs> it's going to be, okay. <laughs> I, I like I like sure. it in that potential, but it is a absolutely dog shit fight to be in the UFC. Yeah, yeah, but you're going to enjoy watching <laughs> it. <laughs> you got enough other, like, actually good fights I just, here. I just resent... Uh, I'm growing a deep resentment to, um, oh God, what's his name? The fight nerd, middleweight guy, uh, Kyle Bohio. Oh, oh yeah. I'm developing a deep resentment to Kyle Bohio and his fight nerd team, which Gene Silva is also on. Oh Lord. Well, he doesn't fight like Bohio. He kind of does. He's capable of being a lot more aggressive with his strikes. He has a Santiago Ponzinibbio mode that he is able to access. Sure, uh, but certainly accessed can... it a lot in his contender series fight. The Bahayos never fought like that. Yeah, but that, that fight contender series fight also started with a lot of back foot, hands down, cage circling while yeah. getting hit and just looking incredibly ineffective. That what. The moment I saw that, I was like, oh, there's the Kyle Bahio part of your game. Yeah, which Weston Wilson also likes to do that kind of shit. I mean, Weston Wilson is just a dude who, like, the UFC signed him because they needed a last-second last sacrifice. Yeah, he's a, 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 a fresh body. And he is... There's no part of Weston Wilson that has any future at high-level MMA, and I say that feeling fully bad about it because Weston Wilson has been in MMA for a decade, more than a decade. If you include his amateur career and he's won a lot of fights and he has been around a lot. So he's clearly sold on the fight game and he is made to get detonated by top talents. Yeah. He's, he's Julian Errata. Yeah. These are this guy. You you know all those mistakes Julian Arosa makes. Yeah, here's all of them. Here's all of them. <laughs> I mean, I think this will very likely look a bit like Wilson's fight with Teruto Ishihara. There's a name you haven't heard in a while, yeah. UFC fans. Sure. Where he he went out there and he just started like he he just sort of lumbers forward with his strikes. He's one of these guys. He just like he sort of postures like he's slick, but then the moment he engages, you're like, oh, it's like his head is just like a leaning into range before anything else every time he throws and misses you're like boy a devastating counter should hit you right there yeah but it takes a minute because he is willing to put out a bunch of crazy bullshit yeah i mean he's a dude who has credit to him he's learned that the best way for him to fight is to be aggressive about it he can be a little overwhelming to deal with right off the jump 
Um, but uh, I think that will basically just force John Silva to access his puns and ibioness. Yeah. He's just going to have to be, he's going to be made to fight. And when that happens, I just think he's a much sharper, cleaner puncher. Oh, yeah. No, he's, he's just clearly a much better athlete. Stronger, yeah. faster. And what happened in the Ishihara fight is, yeah, Wilson was like all over Ishihara for Ben. Ishihara's like, what if I plant my feet when you lumber towards me and hit you really hard? And he just started wrecking him and then KO'd him with one shot. It was such cruelty when that they matched him up with Joe Anderson Brito on short notice. Oh, my God. Yeah. Really just that Hulk gif where he's grabbed like one of the uh, small normal Avengers and is just like slamming it around the. It's the, Loki, Zane. Have yeah, it, aren't, Loki, don't you I'm, keep up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe? It's very much a Hulk Loki situation where it's just like. Even active UFC fighters should be thinking about whether or not they want to step in the cage with Joe Anderson Brito. The man is pure, unhinged violence. Yeah. And to throw some dude who's just, like, not durable enough for regional MMA in there was just, just nasty work. Yeah. Joe Anderson, as I now think of him, Joe Anderson, bah, 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 yes. <laughs> he will forever be my my champion for what he did to Jonathan Pierce. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> like, By the way, that was him getting annoyed at Jonathan Pierce for complaining to the ref because Joe Anderson was cheating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was putting his fingers in the gloves. Bah, 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 bah. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. And then Pierce just being like, get up and do something. Get up and do something. He just gets up and chokes him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, not, not the guy that Weston Wilson should be fighting. No, ever. Well, I, I am going to pick John Silva for sure. Yeah, no, you have to. He's just going to nail Wilson with some nasty punches at some point. Yep. Sorry, Weston. Uh, yeah, Weston Wilson is... A huge underdog open at my, plus four ninety eight is currently at plus six thirty two. Sean Silva opened at minus eight thirty three and is currently at minus eight ninety three. Maybe shouldn't be that wide. Maybe now. I mean, I may not rate the fight nerd camp, but Weston Wilson is really it's, yeah. Wilson's just fodder uh, for yeah. decent fighters. I'm sorry. Grist for the mill. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Tom Nolan, Nicholas Mata. <sighs> and, um, yeah, I I also feel ways about this fight, mostly just because I, I have a soft spot for Mata, having scouted him years and years and years ago and thinking like, oh, this kid's got the pretty, he's got the basics to be a pretty talented fighter. And it's just never clicked. Mm -hmm. And it's never going to click. It's, he he is 30 now. Yep. It is 11 years later. And Trey Ogden wiped the floor with him in a pure striking contest. Yep. You you can count on Nicholas Mata to do some cool shit every fight. Mm-hmm. But uh something he's, yeah, some 
something's broken. He's never learned range striking. He doesn't have a great chin, and he's yeah. never learned to strike from range. So the thing with the pre- with Preston Parsons talking about how he just like steps into the pocket with two hooks, yeah, and leads with his face. Mata does that too, and Mata is a much more technical, deeper striker than Parsons ever will be. But he always starts out with, "What if we brawl?" Yeah, and it's terrible. And he's not as durable as Parsons. He's not as durable. He does not have the gear change that Parsons does to do other stuff. So he just has to be there in the pocket winning the brawl or losing it. And that's the the, the 50-50 flip. You know? Yep. He is a good fight. He, he is a fighter fighting down to the level of his competition constantly. Mm-hmm. Hate to see it. Uh, Tom Nolan seems like... Uh, He's probably pretty decent and tricky. Um, I, you know, there's probably a bit more flash than craft in his style. And I don't necessarily know that he's as athletic as his game would like him to be. Mm-hmm. But it also seems like he has worked really hard on the, the flash that he has. Uh, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of maybe like a Charlie on 2.0-ness to it. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, what, what if, you know, what, what if Ontiveros had a little bit more rigidity and durability and uh, confidence to back up his, Here's some wild stuff you didn't expect. And, uh, yeah, I got to pick Don Nolan. Because. Yep. If he's going to. If he's going to throw things at range with some violence to them. Mm -hmm. And can be a little crafty about it and can be a little tough about it. Nicholas Mott is going to be there to be hit. Yep. I'm I'm on exactly the same page. I don't even really have anything to add. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't have your same attachment to Mata, but it is a little dispiriting just because, like I said, he, he'll do some really cool, yeah, shit every single fight. You, you give him a firefight, he can win. Yeah, yeah. And he will craft a really good game in you're winning. Gonna, you're gonna see some excellent counters, some nice short combinations, and it's just. But the fight just spins out of control every just, single time. Every every exchange, he starts with a 50-50 coin flip of, yep. am I going to get hit big first, or are you going to get hit big first? Yeah. Don't like it. Nope. Nolan is a favorite here. Opened at minus 200, currently minus 312. Mata opened at plus 155, currently plus 263. All right, that brings us finally to our our last bout of the prelim card, our opener, flyweight opener, Felipe Bunez, Joshua Van. And um, this should be a really pretty ridiculously fun flyweight fight for an opener. Yeah, I think it'll be fun while it lasts. Yeah. Um, You have a a kind of dynamic here where I think both dudes are kind of going to get the fight they want. Mm Mm-hmm. I suspect it will not be the fight Felipe Bunez continues to want. Yeah. Because he is 
pretty ready to fight off the back foot. Joshua Van, very happy to stalk his opponents and just walk forward. Um, and, you know, unlike a guy like Waldo Cortez Acosta, he actually is like ready with some defense, <laughs> mm-hmm. ready with a slip and counter. I mean, um, Van is the young athlete who did other things than MMA yeah, for most yeah. of his athletic life, but who made the jump over when he's still very young. Yeah, he's 22. And he is learning MMA at warp speed, like a very good young athlete should. Yeah. You know? Like, this dude turned... He he, he took his first amateur fight in December of 2020. Yeah. And he looked like a fairly one-note stalking just sort of boxer puncher in 2022 in Fury FC. But he fought for Fury FC five times that year. And by the end of it, when he got to Jalgas Jumagulov in the UFC, yep, he looked like a much more studied defensively ready for, you know, pressuring pressure striker. Yeah. He, he and, slips and counters. Well, he actually advances with his jab. Yeah. He's not like great at cutting off the cage, but I think he's one of these fighters who doesn't mind that because he's comfortable moving forward. Yeah. So giving the opponent some room to back off into, he's still, like I said, he, he has a, sometimes the appearance of just kind of walking forward, but he is really, really ready on a hair trigger. Uh, to respond if the opponent flinches. Um, he particularly has a really nice left hook. Also, he takes a hell of a shot Yeah, when he has to, which is helpful because he's a super aggressive fighter. Um, I suspect he is going to nail Felipe Bunez with that left hook at some point or another. Yep. Bunez just um, will allow himself probably not too long into the fight to just get crammed up against the fence and he's just going to have to deal with him much faster, harder hitting fighter in a range where he is not nearly as comfortable. Yeah. He uses his wrestling as an escape valve. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not necessarily all that impressed by his top control work. Um, it tends to feel a little phantom weighty. Yeah. <laughs> And which is just to say, like, oh, you know, fine, standard positional control, land some strikes kind of thing, but not necessarily like flyweight scrambling ready. And uh, it also feels like something that he sees as like a release valve. And yeah, Van, it seems like the kind of fighter who the more momentum you give him, the harder it is to do anything you want to do or to take advantage of his weaknesses, even like. You'd be like, oh, well, he doesn't wrestle very well. But if he's moving forward and he's striking, he's actually going to be really hard to out-wrestle because he is so in his element when he is moving forward. Good luck, like, setting up on him for the shot from the the proper distance. Yeah, exactly. Got to have some dynamite timing to make it work. He he looks like what is actually kind of feels almost more rare, but only because the division is getting deeper with more chaff in it. Mm-hmm. 
he feels like one of the few real true top end UFC or top end flyweight athletes the UFC has signed in a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He feels like a classic good flyweight. Yeah. For sure. Manal, you know, Manal Cop being another on the same yeah, chart. Yeah. yeah. Like Felipe Bunez is more of the like, yeah, yeah you're yeah, more yeah. like a bantamweight who is just a little too small for bantamweight. So you're at flyweight. You're a little yeah. too skinny. A tall, willowy guy who's like, well, these 135ers hit too hard. Yeah. And Van is more of the classic John Dodson, Demetrius Johnson. Yeah. Um, Husier Famiga. Joe Benavidez. Joe Benavidez, like actual flyweight athlete. Yeah. Style. So... Yeah, I I gotta pick Van. Just still young, still makes mistakes. You know, he's still yep. learning, but uh, and it'll probably be fun uh, while the dynamic is kind of setting itself. But just by the fact that Bunez is notably taller and longer than yeah, Van, and, he, and and he really loves to box too. Yeah, like that is mm-hmm. the center point of what Bunez wants to do in a fight is to set up a slappy boxing game. Mm-hmm. So it'll be fun to watch Van having to kind of work his way through all that, but I I just have to assume he will. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we saw too, it was a really good look for him in that Boros fight. Yeah. Where, like, Boros Boros is a pretty solid boxer himself, um, but not the same level of athlete. And he started out, and he had some good success early against Van, but Van is just so, like, no, I am going to I am going to double down and I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to have the fight I have. And yeah, yeah he just started turning it into. There are literally a couple of times in that fight where you can catch Borjas just like ruefully grinning like he's like laughing yeah. like this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like because he's pretty good at this and and more experienced and Van is just like too aggressive and too fast Yep, and just won't take a backward step. He just won't go away. Yep. And he will triple up on that jab and work behind it. And it's just brings a tear to your eye, honestly. Yeah. He's got a lot of potential for sure. Love to see it. All right. Uh, we'll be back with some bonus content here in just a minute. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.